the Public News Service Daily Newscast, July the 18th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. First to Ohio, where the last execution was four years ago today. Advocates for ending the death penalty are hopeful it remains the last. At noon, people at rallies for a day of hope in Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland will call for an end to capital punishment. Kwame Ajamu of Cleveland is among the 11 people in Ohio exonerated from death row. He explains that at age 17, he was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death due to false eyewitness testimony and police misconduct. It took 39 years of my life to prove my innocence and become exonerated. We should not be in that barbaric stage anymore in our humanity. And as long as I have breath, I will stand forcibly against capital punishment. In the Ohio legislature, House Bill 183 and Senate Bill 103 have bipartisan support and, if passed, would make Ohio the 24th state to abolish the death penalty. But some who favor the death penalty believe it's morally justified for those who commit murder. Mary Sherman reporting. A 2020 Ohio poll found 69% of Democrats and 53% of Republicans support death penalty repeal. Now to New York, where a new law in the state is expected to keep for-profit lenders from taking advantage of immigrants in detention facilities. Some people in the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, can post bail and be released until their court hearing. The Stop Immigrant Bond Abuse Act, or SIMBA, regulates so-called predatory lenders making high-interest loans for these immigration bonds. Prior to the new law, the detainee might sign a contract without a clear understanding of the fine print. Mustafa Jumali, Immigration Policy Manager for the Envision Freedom Fund, describes some of the new protections. It's what will prohibit private companies from using electronic shackles, it would cap fees and cap interest rates on immigration bonds and ensure immigrants are not misled by for-profit immigration bond companies. Other similar protections include providing clear contracts in a language the person can understand. Though many felt this was common-sense legislation, its critics warned that it could limit access to loans for people who need them. Jumali says the law won't end for-profit lending. Rather, it provides a safeguard for immigrants. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. And our friends at the Hill Report, Representative Zoe Lofgren, a member of the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol, said Sunday, deleted Secret Service texts sent the day before and the day of the insurrection will be turned over to the panel by Tuesday. Lofgren said initially officials ensured the panel that the erasure included no messages related to the attacks. Another spokesperson said that some messages were pertinent. This is PNS. COVID-19 has touched just about every facet of life. A new report from the Center for Responsible Lending says women repaying student loans have been hit especially hard. The report says, in particular, the pandemic exacerbated the financial instability of women of color, reducing their ability to repay their student loan debt. Report co-author Sunny Glockman says, in part, it's a racial equity issue. And even the temporary pause in student loan repayments hasn't been enough to help many women catch up. One of the biggest things that happened was folks were losing their jobs. And whether it was they were losing their jobs because they were furloughed, because their company was struggling to keep its doors open, whether it was because they were working in a high contact job and, you know, had someone at home who was immunocompromised. I'm Danielle Smith. 
In Multnomah County, voters will decide in November whether the right to vote should extend to people who are not citizens. Some say that all of the state of Oregon should consider a similar measure. Joanne Mina, based in Bend, is a statewide community organizer for the Interfaith Movement for Immigrant Justice. She points to Bend City Councilman Anthony Broadman, who has advocated for an amendment to Oregon's Constitution to guarantee the right to vote for everyone, regardless of immigration status. Mina says Oregon has expanded the ability to vote, such as with vote by mail, and says this is needed to make democracy even more fair and equitable in the state. The next step is to allow all community members, adults, members of Oregon to be part of the decision-making process, to be engaged civically, to be invested in the direction of where Oregon goes. I'm Eric Tegedoff reporting. Finally, Mike Bowen tells us fertilizer prices keep rising, hurting farmers in Iowa and around the country. Analysts say the price shift began last fall with supply chain issues cited as one factor. In response, the Fertilizer Institute suggests eliminating export restrictions in China, dropping vaccine mandates at the Canada-U.S. border for truck drivers, and encouraging growers to adopt stewardship practices. Joe Maxwell of the group Farm Action agrees that global matters are a barrier, but he feels the recently released recommendations gloss over a key area. The document is one as if there is a long-term supply-demand failure and ignores that the issue we've been having with fertilizer is as much an issue of concentration and price gouging as it is supply disruption. This story produced with original reporting by Claire Carlson for The Dealer Yonder. This is Mike Clifford. Thank you for starting your week with Public News Service. Member and listener supported. Heard on interesting radio stations, your favorite podcast platform, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.